What are we talking about? So today, do you like this? Just like jumping right in? No hello. Or well, I mean, I guess we did a hello. No, like, how are you? Good, good. Like we're just uh, we're just gonna get it right just into it. Just assume we're good. Okay. So today we are talking about world building. But that alone, I don't want to be down on just like we're talking about world building. Uh-huh. I like I think I, <laughs> I like our framing that we've taken for this conversation better than maybe some things that are just like, this is how to world build. We don't want to say we're any better at building a world than anyone else, even I'm though right. I, <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't say anything. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just staring. We don't want to sit here acting like we know how to build a world. Mm-mm. Where we're coming from is more of a, I don't know world building, but I know what I like. Yeah. Kind of perspective. Yeah. Like I know it when I see it. This yeah. is about the presentation of world building rather than the construction of world building. Yeah. So this is inspired by the fact that the past number of months we've been working on a novel together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, I mean, most of our role playing games that we've made have world building in them. But with those games, we kind of leave the world building to. Like there, we get we give the framework. We don't do the world building. This is some, you know. I'm gonna recant that. I disagree with what I just said, but it's like too long. Uh, we, we'd have to go down like a, a the subtleties of yeah, yeah, like explaining what is a game. <laughs> I, I mean, we set the bounds of world building. We set the framing of it when we're making a game. Yeah. Today, what we're talking about is that we both had these experiences as people who enjoy movies and do reading, (laughs) have enjoyed a book or game in our time, of (laughs) sometimes like you're reading and you're getting into a world and then something like wrenches you out of it. Right. And it's not always clear what that is. Or you start to read a book or watch a movie, and you just can't even get into the world building in the first place. Right, yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of what we're going to talk about. The framing of world building, when it works for us, when it doesn't, why we think some of those reasons are, is, are. Why is, we think some, some of, of those, those reasons. <laughs> Let's just reconstruct that sentence. Why? Why? (laughs) 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 And some of the just like places that we we think are like pitfalls in world building that we hope to avoid in our own writing and we don't necessarily know how. We hope we know how. Spot on. That's what we're talking about. (laughs) Okay. So first we're going to talk about word swapping. This stems from a fantasy book that you were reading. Yeah. And you read me some of it. Yeah. I'm not going to name it. Uh, obviously, I, I honestly, I actually don't even remember the name. So everybody oh, that's is that's even spared. more damning. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. It's true, though. I don't remember. 
Um, but I, I do remember I had read one other book by the author that I had thought was that I was like, oh, the book is, is, is enjoyable. And then I started this book. It was like a, it was a YA book. So I read you like a page of the book or a few pages. And I was like, Evan, I'm not getting into this book at all. And I don't exactly know why you like hit the nail on the head. So I'm curious what your experience was like when I read you this random book. Well, it takes place in a world, not quite our own. <laughs> and the no way that's established that. yeah. upset me because it felt like all that was happening is a number of words were being swapped out for different ones. And it was just it was just being presented as though I don't know if I have the memory keen enough to 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 present this well, but the way it hit me was that the author was feeling like I'm throwing them in. They're just going to have to understand this world on the fly. But I did understand it. It's just that instead of the word soldier, they were using skronk, skronk, and and so on. They just, they, 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 the, the skronked walked the watch. Of the Auburn night, I'm failing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's hard. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard, yeah. Uh, it felt like a bunch of words were being changed around just as the symbol of this being a different world without it having a deeper meaning being communicated. I was very put off by it. And you gave an example then from a real-life conversation that you'd had that blew my mind and was like so so sad and offensive to me the opinion that was so objectionable was somebody saying there's no point in learning another language because it's just learning another set of words for the same stuff so there's an obvious objection which is well it lets you communicate with a different set of people other people yeah yeah like obviously Clearly. But what got me about that is that it is not a one-to-one transfer of words and meanings between languages. Different languages also have different concepts of meaning. The boundaries of meaning that their words communicate give you a sense of a different philosophy of life, a different way of looking at the world what you group together, and what you treat as distinct. And that's fascinating. It opens your mind to the, I mean, even the fact that words are that malleable and what a word covers and how you discern and break apart the world is actually a a choice, like a philosophical choice about where you say things are separate and where you say they're the same. It's fascinating. There's an endless amount of, of... meaning you could put into how you create your language. Yeah. But I agree that if it was just one-for-one word swaps, that would be uh, dull, (laughs) boring, not as worthwhile. Yeah. But some fantasy books feels like that's what they're doing. It's like the, the fantasy is just that we have a different word for the exact same thing. And it's it's not that it's not okay never, because you can sort of presume that if you are 
building a world and you have like this enti- entire society that has evolved with, with its own language and norms that like some words might be swapped. Like It's okay. It's okay to kind of sprinkle them in. There's a lot of ways for it to be okay because there's a lot of there's a lot of possibilities for how that could be a meaningful choice. Well, yeah, ex- exactly. Like I think it's just still has to be fun right. and meaningful. And when I say fun, like it could be really serious and kind of sad or stern and still be fun. So you're like, oh yeah, this was a really this was a really intentional sprinkling here to call the sea the inky black in this context instead of just the sea. Right. One example that comes to mind is uh, The Golden Compass by Philip Pullman, where the golden compass itself, what the, the title is referring to, is a object that gives truthful answers through abstract symbols. I'm sure I've mentioned it before because it's a inspiration for some of the Questlandia 2 mechanics. In the world of the book, the object is called a alethiometer, which is a sort of Latin root scientific term as like a truth measuring device. And the reason it's called that in your introduction to it is that it's being introduced by scholars of a college, and it's their term for it. The name that is being used for this device. I mean, it's not a great example because this isn't even quite a word swap. It's a device that only exists in this world. So apologies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you have an example of a word swap that feels good? Well, okay. I'm going to, I want to ask you if you think of this as a word swap, because I think that it's genuinely tricky to be like, when is it just a word swap and when is it adding meaning? I mean, I think the right. point is that it just should add some interest or meaning in some way. I'm going to give away. So we're doing this thing right now where you're reading a book and I'm reading a book right? that we both picked thinking that they might have some good world building. And then we're going to swap them. Um some people might know this as a book club. <laughs> yeah. It's a word that you might call it in your world. So I'm reading <laughs> I'm reading George Saunders' first, I think it's his first novel. He normally writes short stories uh called Lincoln and the Bardot from a number of years ago. And I know I said I wasn't gonna like give anything away to you, but I think I have to say some words to be able to give this example. Okay. All right. So It's a very strange book. It is written in kind of short paragraphs presented by ghosts. And the longer the story goes on, the more ghosts are speaking at once. So George Saunders has done like an incredible amount of work to make it so before you get to the end of the paragraph where the ghost is sort of tagged with who's speaking, you want to know who's speaking from the minute you start reading. Right. Uh, Because it's just switching off, you know, like this ghost, then this ghost, then this ghost speaks, then this ghost speaks. So he's doing like a lot of weird word stuff uh, where where sometimes it is just a word swap because you're like, I know this person always calls this thing by this word. Uh, Super purposeful word swap. Uh Uh-huh. Another word swap, and this is like, this was when the book really got me and when I was like, oh, I'm really enjoying this book. So I'm, I'm giving it away because it's right at the beginning. It kind of, it starts with a guy 
who dies in the middle of the scene, but you don't know immediately that he dies. He's just like, you know, I was bonked in the head by a very large beam. It was terrible, uh, but I was going to heal. I, you know, lay down in my sick box for my recovery. And you're like, oh, you're in your sick box. And then later huh. you're like, that's a coffin. Uh-huh. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's a word. I guess you could say it as, as it's like basest level. It's a word swap. But it's it's actually not. I guess it's it's really not because it's adding so much meaning because it's like this is what a ghost calls its final resting place. And ghosts in this world also seem to have some like deep discomfort with speaking directly what it means to be dead. Right. They, they're just constantly speaking around it yeah. um, and sort of speaking metaphorically because they know that they're dead, but it's like really awkward uh-huh. and untoward. That sounds great. Cool. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I glad. love that. Yeah. So anyway, hopefully you enjoy the book. And to be fair to the book that you read me one page of. Yeah, well, it was like three pages. <laughs> uh, there could be good reasons for every swap that was there. But the way that they hit in the beginning was feeling like it was arbitrary and purposeless. I don't know quite where to draw the line between that being my skepticism and bad attitude versus the presentation of the book and the choices the author made about what words to swap and what words to swap them to. Yeah. And I think this is just one place where there is like no hard and fast rule. Like some of it is going to be preference. Right. And it's not to say that that like that that story is not like really creative and enjoyable and that neither of us, you know, maybe neither of us gave it a fair shake. My experience was that I was finding myself feeling like pretty disoriented in the first few pages because everything was a word swap. And so I was just having a really hard time separating like what in this world functions differently? Like what parts matter? Right. What what should I like? Do I need to write down that the C is called like the big deep gloop? Like when you talk about the sick box, it's a unusual term, right? It's not one that I imagine most people have encountered seriously in any other context. Yeah. So it's disorienting. And it's also clear that something strange is happening. This is a strange concept. And the revelation that comes after who knows how long uh, that it's referring to a coffin it's sort of engineered to be like, you're confused, you're a little curious, you get your answer, you realize not just what it means, but why it was being said that way. Yeah. And that's like a a curated set of reactions. That's a great point. I mean, it in that in that example, it just becomes like so purposeful right. um, down to the timing. And then you feel like you have this, it's really satisfying to be like, oh, yeah. I get what's happening here. I'm like, I'm in on the joke and I was brought in at exactly the right moment. Right. And they could have named it something. It could have been a sea box, <laughs> which would have had a whole different feeling. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, George Saunders is skilled and funny. Yeah. So for ourselves, when we're thinking about where to use a different word, the 
I guess the two things that come to mind as considerations for us to take are one, what is the meaning change underlying the difference in words? Is it describing something different? Is it describing a different personality or outlook on the same thing? And then second, what are we swapping it into? What is the new word? And how will that new word strike the reader upon first encountering it? Will it seem confusing or silly or misleading? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm recalling some examples that feel like good word swaps from a playtest of Questlandia 2 that happened ages ago in a different age. Yeah, it was our first playtest. And we've, we've mentioned it again and again on the podcast because it was a playtest where I... We, we like really lightly kind of edited the rules of the original Questlandia. Then we ran a playtest with a campaign game with some of our friends. And I was like, that was bang on. We did such an awesome job. And you were like, <laughs> that's just because our friends are like really good sports and we're okay playing a game with no rules right. and could really roll with the punches. One of the dangers of playtesting with very good role playing. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and good and like amiable game designers. So that world took place, it was a, a planet where we had been on like a generation ship to reach this planet, mm -hmm. where the first generations of the ship were never going to live to actually touch down on the planet that was going to be our home. We were, we were there for like the future generations. So a lot of the language that had developed on the ship was language to compensate for like these close quarters that we'd grown up in without a lot of privacy. Right. So one of the words fr slash phrases that I liked was, um, I don't even know if this is a one-to-one -one word swap though, because it actually like it's, it is getting into the like a, a language, different languages invent new meaning. <laughs> That's just the value of learning another language. It was the phrase cycling the filters. I think you could say this translates to something like, let's have a one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Yeah. And cycling the filters was kind of like what you would say, like, uh, it's like, we're going to go cycle the filters. It was a way to kind of like have a one-on-one -on -one while also doing a task that you were supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, but like with a certain assumption that while two people were cycling the filters, you know, you could see that... <laughs> Jane and Miranda were over there, like changing the oil on this uh, piece of machinery. But because they were cycling the filters, you knew to give them a little space. Like they were taking that opportunity to have a one on one. And there was a, the reasoning for that task paired with that kind of social encounter was because you'd be amongst the loud engines, which gave you privacy. Yes. Thank you. In close quarters where that was normally very difficult. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it's a word swap, but it also, I mean, I think that that describes something kind of new. Like when I say to you, you we should have a one-on-one, -on -one, I'm not saying we should have a one-on-one -on -one next to like the lawnmower factory. Right. <laughs> well, then, and then also, you know, when the colonists are using this phrase without going to engines, without cycling any filters. Well, yeah, that's a it's great a, point. It's sort of tying them to their past and connecting them with the generation ship history, and maybe communicating like how close that history is to the people who are no longer living there. 
Yeah. Good example. I really liked that. I liked some of the words that we came up with, the language we came up with for that game. Yeah. Changing the language can just be, it can be so, so good when it's done well. Okay. So this next topic is a tense one. Yeah. A little contentious between us. Yeah. But I think less so now. We've talked it through, right? The the remaining tensions are... (laughs) Softer. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want... So I'm going to call this... I'm going to give this the heading of fish people as our second world-building topic. And you can expand on what that means. (laughs) Uh... Fish people is the example. It is the cause of strife between us. And I think the heart of why we are, why we've had such a disagreement over fish people is a conversation about first impressions of a world building concept and what it takes to course correct if those first impressions aren't where you want to be. For, yeah, for the uh, reader. Or right. watcher, or the, the imbiber of your the world. The imbiber, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So fish people. Fish people. So, well, yeah. What were the fish people? So our story takes place on a galactic amusement park where there are visitors from all over the galaxy. But we should specify, as of yet in this galaxy, no aliens. A, Not the, everybody is descended from humans. Is right. human. The idea is that humans spread out over the galaxy, and through technology and time and evolution, they have changed in various different worlds to sometimes appear have appearances that are fairly alien. Yes, maybe. Well, and here, here, and lies the beginning of the contention. Tension. When we were talking about how we want to present this in the book, uh, we both felt like we don't want to make a big deal of it. This is from the perspective of somebody who works in the amusement park. She is used to seeing a broad range of phenotypes of beings. It's not going to strike her as out of the ordinary. She's not going to feel the need to really comment on it. It might just come up in passing, little differences that give a sense of how varied life is in the galaxy. And when we were talking about this, I think you were like, yeah, somebody might have like a greenish hue. And I was like, yeah, or like somebody could be, you know, a fish person and like needs to have a, a water tank on or something. There needs some accommodations for the fish people. And you were like, no, <laughs> no fish people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't remember what example I gave originally or like what idea I had in my head. I think it was just like, you know, we've evolved so we can change our hair color. Like it was much closer to like, I think I said, I think I specifically said like people are people. People, people should look like people. Uh Uh-huh. Because when I imagined the idea of a fish person walking around, I just imagined this like somewhere on the slider, a very silly uh-huh. person with a f- head of a fish, uh, to kind of like Star Wars cantina style, like you know, like there's just so <laughs> many, like there's so many people to look at, and I didn't feel like 
from from everything else we've said about our story, like our story just it's not about it's not really about even an interesting world. Like it is about just a a scenario in which capitalism has run rampant on this planet and and the surrounding planets to create like an an ecosystem of permanent customer service where people don't even realize that they are like enslaved to retail because they grew up in it. Right. And I was like, well, where where do the fish people come in? <laughs> like it's just right. a it's a silly distraction. Uh, and I got too goofy. Mad. Like yeah. I was like furious about the fish people. And I was like, hold on, there's nothing goofy about fish people. <laughs> you know, like you just it's a world, it's a world with very advanced technology. Some people ended up on a water world. They gave themselves some gills. They can they can breathe underwater. We have underwater people. So Doesn't it, seem that far-fetched to me. I mean, it, it took us a while to even get to the root of what was bugging me so much about it, because my my first reaction to fish people, to just imagining a fish person like have a, a, a swim-by cameo in this world, just like struck me as so inappropriate and overdone. Uh, so it took us a while to even get to the place of like, why why is this bothering me? <laughs> like it's right. bothering me because I'm on one hand, I'm worried about it. Like how do fish people serve the story that we're telling? Are they going to be a distraction? And if not, like if fish people aren't funny, what does that look like? Um, right. and, and one of the examples that I had come up with after you helped me understand <laughs> that fish people just don't have to be absurdist uh was thinking about the expanse uh-huh which i haven't or which which i've read and watched you haven't right that's right uh and in the expanse there's you know humans have spread out across the galaxy there's belters who are people who grew up on an asteroid belt and because of the difference in gravity their bones are more compressed and belters are just being described they're like really tall they just like grew right. up with a different force exerted on their bodies and they're just tall with these elongated bones and big heads on the top of these thin frames and like the expanse isn't like they're it's not a comedy story yeah and you know there's also a conversation about if fish people exist in the world, do they relate to the themes of the book? And I do think there's an argument to be made that like, okay, these are a class of people who maybe have dollars to spend at this park, but they require very specific accommodations. And from the capitalist perspective, what do you do with those accommodations? How much do you leave them to fend for themselves? How much do you spend in order to make money. And if you aren't deeming them to be worth enough money, how ready are you to just abandon their experience and make a inhospitable place for them? And it's a real world quality of capitalist architecture and and design and societal setup. But at the end of the day, at the end of these conversations, I think I've come around to your side. Oh, this more is than you. <laughs> I'm like shocked <laughs> because first impressions matter, and if 
we introduce these people, and the first thought that a reader gets is of goofy, fish-headed people uh, just bubbling around. That's not what we're going for. That's the wrong impression. And this is where this is what I mean when I say course correction. We would need to put in some work to correct that idea of what these people look like and how they behave and whether they're supposed to be funny inherently or not, and put in some work to tie them into the themes and express why they're here, why they're worth talking about, why we're communicating about them. And the question becomes, is it worth the effort and time and distraction of the course correction to have this kind of presence in the story? And I think the answer could be no, that it's going to be a distracting uh, presence that will take so much effort to, to justify that by the time you justify it, you're like, what am I even reading anymore? I thought this was about something else. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I've, to some extent, fish fish people are still tough for me, but like gill people, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, which is probably what you meant by fish people. Anyway. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure that I was the one who even said the term fish people oh, first. Oh, did I just like? <laughs> 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 well... I'm glad that we've both come around a little bit to each other's perspectives. For them to exist in the story, I think we would need to do some work to come up with a term and presentation where the first impression is not so far off that we need to do a whole bunch of correcting. So the third and final thing that we have on our list is something that we're calling the author has stepped into the story to explain some cool stuff they made up. Right. Do you want to expand on what that means? So this is an issue with presentation of world building where the way that something is explained feels like it's not coming from any of the characters in the book and it's disruptive to the normal description and narration of the story. And you feel instead the presence of the author themselves, who has popped their head through the book and is saying, check out this cool lore I made about fairies. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes it takes the place of, or the form of description, where you're like, would the character be noticing this thing in this way? Like this character who's normally kind of maybe bumbly and unobservant is just like, then... <laughs> Froyo <laughs> right. looked out upon the hills. He pondered that, and it's just going on and on and on. And you're like, did did Froyo think about things this way? Right. Um, and it can also take the form of, and this veers away from world building a little bit, but but I think it's still relevant of just like also like authorial insert of theme or moral. Uh, of like a, a monologue that they really wanted to get in about what the book or movie is ultimately about. Right. No, that's spot on. It's the feeling of now I'm in the room with the author. And sometimes the author's face is popped into general description. Sometimes it's popping out of another character's mouth and they stop talking like themselves and they start saying, well, have I ever told you the story of the fairies? The first fairies appeared 
10,000 years ago. Uh, and you're like, why are, why does this even need to be explained? There's no way that this character would ever need to explain this to this other character. Yeah. This is the author talking to me, the reader, directly. This is something that we've both been, we both find repellent and don't want to be a part of the story we're writing. Okay, I I feel like it's pretty strong to say repellent because we literally both have examples of authors who do this masterfully and we love them. Yes, that's right. So I guess I should say the when it's done badly, it is very unpleasant. <laughs> it's, it's unpleasant. It yeah, it's unpleasant. Uh so I mean one, you know, one example of somebody who literally writes himself into the story is Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut loves to have himself as the author writing the book, just admit that like he's the one writing it. He's giving you the narration and he'll pop in and be like, and I think this. And that's okay. I mean, it's certainly his face appears in the room. He's there with you. But for me, at least, I find him to be a charming, welcome presence in telling the story. Okay, so we had to pause for a second. So I can't remember exactly where we were, but I have a I have a question for you. And I can't decide if this question matters or not, because it's one of those <laughs> questions where I always give the preamble before giving the question, but I feel like you're going to give an answer that's not going to annoy me, but somebody else could give like a really pedantic answer to this that would really bother me. And I would be like, I didn't ask you. Do you want to hear what the question is? <laughs> I really feel okay. the pressure I on. know. <laughs> so the, the question is like, when is an authorial insert like about world building and where where you're on the slope of like, okay, I'm like... I'm doing the Kurt Vonnegut where I'm saying like, I'm literally in the story and it works because it's funny and charming or like I'm doing the, an authorial insert that's like jarring and annoying where I'm actually giving some sort of like weird religious screed via a character, but it's clearly really me, Brandon Sanderson. Uh -huh. um, or uh, like, when is it just um, autourism or, or like, when is it just having like a, a, a tone or a vibe like uh, I Wes Anderson. Does that make sense? Does this question even matter? I think it makes sense. Um, you know, I think if it is done knowingly in a way that works for the author and is working for the audience, then that's great. You know, you have a successful communication happening. Yeah. Uh, the... The thing I'm trying to keep in mind as we write is that knowingly part. Yeah. To be aware <laughs> of like, to be really considering like, what would my character think of this? How would they relate it? And okay, if I relate yeah. it differently, then I acknowledge that this is not coming from my characters. It's coming from the story's narrator, if the narrator is its own character, or it's just coming straight from me. Uh, and make sure that I'm doing that in a way that I like and I'm I would enjoy reading. I think that's a good clarification, which that was probably clear at the beginning, but I got myself a little off track because I, I can sort of see somebody being like, 
I'm panicked now because I don't know, like, I can't have an opinion. I can't have a style. And it's like, you can totally have an opinion or a style, but how, how do the characters you've created give voice to this? Right. Uh, opinion. Yeah. (laughs) And it's even a totally okay thing to have sort of sock puppet characters to, to enjoy a world where characters are speaking with your kind of humor and always joking in your kind of way. Like this is, that's normal. That's like a very common comedy thing where the sense of humor is surprisingly consistent (laughs) between many different people coming with, from different backgrounds. That's okay. That's, that's, is if you're doing it because that's what you want, great. Uh, but sometimes it strikes me as a reader and I worry about it coming off uh, as a writer, as a unintentional, unaware distraction that takes you out of the mood that I'm hoping a scene has. That's what I want to avoid. I think, um, a lot of like the last 30 pages of a book or last 20 minutes of a movie are a really good place to see this often happen. Like, I feel like there's this thing where I'm really, really liking a book and and I can still like it at the end, but the author suddenly is like panicking and is like, oh, I don't know if they got the themes and like right. has it written in uh, <laughs> I mean, I I mention all the time, like, I love Kazuo Ishiguro, and, like, I I love the book, shoot, which one is it? Um, I love the book, Never Let Me Go. Uh Totally subtle, elegant book, up until, like, the last 30 pages, where they just kind of got to say what it's about. Right. And I still loved it, but there's this like meeting of characters where it's like, now it's time to explain not just the plot, just in case anybody missed it, but also kind of like the thesis of what it means to be human. And you can just see the author there. It's like he's there in the room. Right. And you want to tell him to leave. You were like, no, your characters were doing a good enough job. Right. Can you think of an example where that's happened to you, where you've been there? And I mean, then... Anne Rand comes to mind. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I can't actually remember off the top of my head whether it's Fountainhead or uh, Atlas Shrugged, where it ends with a character going on a like 70-page monologue about Wait, the themes of the book. Wait, is it actually like 70 pages? Oh, yes. Yeah. I think it's like a radio broadcast to the world. Oh, I was trying Neil to think Green. of like how yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of how it could be 70 pages, but a radio broadcast. Yeah, and those are such good ways, like a radio broadcast, the villain taking over and like grabbing the mic. There's uh, but like you, the author, can be the villain grabbing the mic. You, you know, be this that. this reminds me of just one other aspect of this I wanted to touch on which is the ways of justifying your your explanation. Because there's a few really common ones. Like, our protagonist is a newcomer to this world. Of course they're going to have the world building explained to them because they don't understand anything, right? Uh, that's sensible. It's completely sensible. It's, it's common for a reason. But... There is still room within that framing to feel like the explanations are 
coming from an author and not from people living in that world. They're explaining either at a length or with a neutral perspective that seems unlikely. Or you have, or it just seems like a little too convenient. Yeah. Just like a little too, <laughs> yeah. like. This person, there's like somebody who just happens to be at the empty bus stop. It's just like, let me tell you how things are done around here, stranger. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or something. Uh, you know, there's this show that was on Amazon Prime that I think nobody watched except me that I think I tested out one day with a friend on random. And we watched a show called Upload and just ended up binging it. And it's this show where you, after you die, if you're really rich, your consciousness can be uploaded into like a server bank dream world. Cool. Um, that can, there's, and then there's people who are sort of like tech tech support, customer support reps in the in the real waking world who can communicate with your consciousness. Um, and ultimately, it's about sort of a romance between this guy who's died but is still a consciousness and his customer service rep, which sounds like a great, like, you know, <laughs> you say that it. and you're like, yeah. that's great and adorable. It was like a show that it's so bizarre, but it had like some of the funniest world building it was just great. I don't know. Yeah. I don't even have any specific this is a examples. Positive example. Positive example. Yeah, I just like I remember it it being like so silly. Great example though of characters, lots of characters there to handhold you. You right. have your own customer service representative who's there to kind of explain the way things work, right. the way your credits work, and the way if your family stops filling your account with credits, you your consciousness slowly sort of slows down until it's in a little box and right. uh well, I can imagine that being a charming role for your guide to this world, taking a customer service rep, saying so, you're just using the cadence of, um, like, we just wanted to help you have a very excellent and <laughs> understanding experience of your afterlife. Right. Good, good show. Did you, did you watch any of it? Did I no. make you watch it? Maybe you should. It might have some good, like, overlaps with some of the stuff that we're trying to do. It was so silly. I mean, but being I loved aware it. and charming, uh, you know, that's your past. You can do whatever. Yeah. There are no rules. Yeah. Being aware. That's the thesis. We're spelling it out. Be aware. Be aware and charming. Be aware and charming. <laughs> like, I literally, this is our radio broadcast like, to the world. I wake up every day and I tell my, be aware, be charming, be aware, be charming. <laughs> sometimes I nail it, sometimes I fall a little flat. Now you know the theme. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's what we've got for today. Yeah. So what were the thirds? What, what was the first one? Oh, word swapping. Fish people. Fish people. people. And hello, I'm the author. I have a few words to tell you about my fantasy kingdom. <laughs> yeah, 70 pages later. <laughs> 70 pages of libertarian <laughs> screed later. <laughs> Three easy to avoid pitfalls. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If we made another mistake about popular media, we'd like to put in a brief correction. <laughs> in the last, last week's episode... We really we took everybody on a ride. Speaking of pedant, well, it's not it's not pedantic to correct a wrong. You can just no. be wrong about something. That's that's just a moral good. <laughs> well, we had we had a good roller coaster in our last episode 
uh, that uh, needs a correction because we were talking about looking at each other over these little mic shields that we've set up and how I can only see your eyes. And I was like, it's like boy meets world. I was like, that's not boy meets world. That's tool time. And then we moved on from it. And then at some point when we published the episode, we felt the psychic blow of hundreds of people at once saying, that's not tool time. That's home improvement. Tool so, time is the show within the show. The wrong has been corrected. We, uh, I apologize. I shouldn't say we. I don't think, I think, yeah, I think that your mistake was charming. My mistake was, my mistake was what did it. And You know, we were charming. We were both charming, but we weren't aware. Like if, okay, here's, here's the final, like if we were at a trivia night, which I will never go to a trivia night. So you'll never find me at a trivia night. I have no interest in a trivia night. I hate tests. I hate contests and I hate battles of intellect. Um, <laughs> but if we were at a trivia night in this fictional example and the, um, the presenter was like, and what is the popular 90s show where a guy had a neighbor who looks over a fence and you ever only see his eyes? And you were like, boy meets world. They'd be like, come on, don't be jokey. But if you were like, tool time, they'd be like, Ooh. your point, your points are taken away. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why I'm wrong. You are awarded no points. <laughs> yeah, may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> so that's what I think. So thank you for listening. If you have thoughts about world building, I, you know, you can let us know. Let us know. Just be charming about it. Be charming and be aware is all we ask. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a surprisingly high bar to clear. <laughs> and if you want to support uh, Design Dog and our other game work, you can always do so on Patreon. If you head over to patreon.com slash turtle bun, that's our Patreon. That's where we post. That's it. We post little updates. We post little games that are in progress. Bonus We ask content. for opinions and we value them more than we value other people's opinions <laughs> thank you to our patrons <laughs>
I can't sign on to that. We have our own aware charm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like some gems are still a little bit undiscovered. Yeah. Or like the, the sort of dull looking rock with a... Right. But if you take a hammer to us... Pure... Um, Fool's quartz. I couldn't remember. I know. <laughs> what's, a, what's the name of a gem? Meridian. I don't think that's one. Citrine? Citrine. Yeah, that's one, right? I don't know. Thanks for listening, heroes. Uh, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.